conversation to acts of service toward other people or to the community, to the world, that kind of thing. And I guess I'd like to say, as, as an outset, as a, as a preface to the conversation, that um, it is true that part of the reason to serve or care for your neighbor is not about what I get out of it, but what it does for my neighbor. And so, like, the, the reason to help the guy laying by the side of the road in the Good Samaritan story is because that person is in need, not the Good Samaritan thinking, I'll have a warm, fuzzy feeling at the end of doing this. And yet, at the same time, part of how we become the kind of people who are capable of serving others is by practicing it. Um, and so there's a sort of a, a mutuality of when I do things intentionally to serve others, it helps me to be ready for the unexpected moments where there's a need uh, brought to my attention. And so part of what church groups do, followers of Jesus do, is create moments and times where we can serve our neighbors in intentional practice ways and know that part of what happens is about the good it does for whomever else, but part of it is that is also part of how God shapes us as well. And I guess that seems to me an important thing so we don't end up in the, the, the making, making this all an ego trip of like, I do good things because of what it, how it makes me feel. Well, that's not exactly the point. Or I, I should be willing to do good things for other people even if I don't feel good about it. Um, and yet at the same time, that um, there, there is something important that how it shapes me when I intentionally make the practice of serving others. So we don't go on mission trips just to get cute pictures of well, you know, us doing good things for other like people? This, I think this is an, an excellent case study. So like, what are we talking about with acts of service? Well, it could be anything you know, from helping support your local church you know, uh, clothes closet or food pantry or picking up trash with your church group by the side of the road or it could be the much more involved mission trip. But let's use that as a case study. Are there times or reasons why it would be good to go to another place far, far away because you have resources and time and ability to help others? Sure, but there's lots of ways that can go wrong, and it can sometimes be, I just did this because it's really about, yeah, me taking pictures or me kind of, you know, um, looking down on, oh, those poor people, look how, you know, we well-to-do people, we fix them, those broken bad people or something like that, or um, treating other human beings like they are cute puppies there to be a photo opera. I mean, like, and again, nobody intends to do that, but, like, it's super easy for that, that to get abused. So this is a, a, one of the things I think we'll have to look at is how do I do acts of service in a way that don't just feed my ego, but also to realize acts of service do shape me, have the ability to shape my character and the kind of person I become. And, you know, it's not just mission trips that we do that. Right, yeah, yeah. Doing things for the church, for, like, your local food bank or clothing cupboard or whatever... Sometimes that's, you know, we can get that same kind of mentality there, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And it's, it's difficult as, I'll, I'll just name this as something I experience as, you know, a religious professional who's involved in a church life. It's difficult anytime you invite folks or organize an event that is meant to serve community or neighbor, the balance between, on the one hand, let's not make this all about us. And on the other hand, like part of what the church does is that, that, um, public outreach, like how do we, how do we say to the community, we care about you? How will anybody know? They don't want to read more pamphlets from us, but if they see, oh yeah, the, the, that church is helping out with such and such, or that church is helping out with such and such, that's part of how people see that what followers of Jesus do is they love their neighbors, they practice that, and not just that we meet inside cloistered walls and um, you know, pat ourselves on the back for being so holy. The, the, way, the way people know your, your faith is genuine is when it's expressed in love for a lot of folks. That, that's the, the, the first thing people will make an impression of. So how do you do that balance between... We're, we're not trying to toot our own horns, and yet at the same time, you want to get caught, in a sense, like in public ways of doing good things for other people. There is a quote from Mother Teresa that I keep coming back to when I think of acts of service. Mm. And, disclaimer, there is a lot of problematic things about Mother Teresa's ministry. <laughs> um, but there's also some good that came out of it. Like it's this kind of like tension in my yeah. life of like kind of looking up to mother Teresa, but also at the same time going, wow, I don't want to be you. Um, but that being said, she said this quote once and it resonates with me. I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry. Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick. Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just kind of goes back to being intentional about asking ourselves, like you said, why are we doing the things that we are doing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for Mother Teresa, it was she serves because she loves Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is ultimately why we should come, we we should be serving. Like, I think, Churches nowadays have a tendency to do everything that they do is an attempt to get more people in their pews, more dollars in their offering plates. And, you know, I can kind of, I I can understand that because our churches are shrinking. So our money is shrinking and we're kind of scrambling and trying to figure out why is this happening? How can we stop it? How can we fix it? But then it starts to become that everything we do becomes about getting more people in the pews, more dollars in the plate. And we lose sight of what I think should be our goal is, no, we feed people because they're hungry. We clothe people because they need clothing. We, you know, do these things to be an asset and a resource to the larger community because that is what Christianity should be about. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why we serve. Not because we're hoping that, oh, by having a soup luncheon, it'll get people in the doors and they'll realize, oh, we're doing good things here. Um, and it's a beautiful building. Let's see what they do on Sunday morning. Like, that's that's not why we should be feeding people soup. Right. We feed soup feed people soup because they're hungry. Right. And I think that 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 to me opens up another important um maybe caveat here that if we're if we're if we're honest um we'll recognize that in serving the neighbor there's a way that we end up like 
bless that it's not it's not just simply I'm here to fix you broken person but like that that idea of, of, of Mother Teresa in that line of I see Jesus in this person means both people walk away with a sense of being blessed that like wow I got to meet Jesus Jesus was hungry and we got to share a meal and the person who's fed is like wow this person reflected Jesus in my life because they fed me like it's in both directions there's a sense of blessedness um, to me that that's a hallmark of when you're when something's on the right track um, as opposed to uh, these poor slobs, they have no, they have nothing to offer us. It's all one direction world. Like it, it's so easy to then, um, you know, infantilize or or treat other people just as props for like I have this need to look charitable. And how do we avoid that? Well, the reckon, maybe I'm blessed in the act of get. We we got to have this 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 you know food giveaway, and man, how cool it was! I got to be a part of it rather than oh those poor slobs. I need to fix that. It, it, it's there's so many ways to get the. Like the, the the wrong the wrong spin on this, I guess, um, and yet at the same time the 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 other person who's there their need is is reason enough to care for them it's not about what will I get at so I don't go into it thinking I'll get a warm fuzzy feeling or I'll get good press or something out of it, but like this realization. I'm going there because Jesus is there. And I may discover at the end of the day, man, I felt really blessed by being a part of this. I didn't do this in order to get that warm, fuzzy feeling, but man, that was cool to be a part of that, that, that dance is, is a difficult one, I guess. I'm kind of wondering how much of our uncomfortableness, what I'm hearing from this conversation, is because we live in a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. That, that this, we either feel like there needs to be a type of transaction or we can't help but look back and see that transaction, even if there isn't anything tangible mm. being traded. Like, I guess for, for me, I'll, I'll say at least for my own part, I'll own this. One of my concerns is there's that damning insight of Nietzsche's, who says, and one of his criticisms of Christianity, is that sometimes Christianity thinks it needs to be the savior of the world in the sense that like Christians need to go fix people and so it goes in search of people who they can identify as broken so they can fix them when maybe like maybe that's not it you know so like again like um the 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 mission trip to some faraway place or something like that if the folks there are like you know what we would like to have a, a, a safe drinking water and we'd like a well who are people we can partner with who can help us and then they invite folks, hey, you know, we have some contacts in the States. They would be willing to donate some labor or whatever. There's a different feel there than, oh my goodness, in your town, in some small village, you don't have a Starbucks. We must come in and give you a Starbucks. Because, like, I guess my nervousness is sometimes well-meaning folks, in the name of being followers of Jesus, identify somebody else. Your way of life is different. You must be broken. I must give you my way of life. And in addition to the love of Jesus, which is a lovely thing to bring people, it also comes along with, but you're not doing it right because you don't also have um, you know, coffee shops and, and movie theaters and credit cards and things like that. Well, wait, maybe that wasn't broken. Maybe let people you know, be... And I guess that, that, that's a piece of it. It's, like, it. it's really tempting to say, your way of doing things is broken. Let's, let's come in and fix you. And what do you know? We've made you exactly into a carbon copy of who we are. And that, to me, seems problematic, especially when that's done with a sense of, this is what Jesus calls us to do. And how much of Christian history have we done exactly that? Well, right, right, right. You know, like when we've gone in, you know, look at the Crusades and, and the Spanish Inquisition and all those kind of things where we have said, we, we, Christians have come in and said, no, you have to worship exactly, you have to worship in this Eurocentric right, right, right. You know, way of worship rather than saying, you know what, you are already doing worship in mm-hmm. this form. Mm-hmm. Let's show us how you can continue that form, but change who you're sure, worshiping sure, or what sure. you're worshiping. You know, um, 
I, I found what helps me is like interacting with folks and getting to know folks. Mm -hmm. When I help with things like with the food bank or mm -hmm. a soup kitchen or whatever, because mm -hmm. then I then I'm not just serving a person or yeah. a thing. Yeah. You know, I'm serving an individual. Like I know your name. I yeah. know kind of part of your story. Yeah. My church has been working with our local food bank for the last two years, and I'm the one. Since the pandemic has started, we go out to the cars and deliver the food yeah. rather than them coming in. So I've started checking off people's names, and I, I know a lot of them now. Yeah. Like, I know their names, so they're not just you know a person or yeah. a number on the list. Like, yeah. They have a name. They have a story. Yeah. And I, well, I don't know all the stories. At least I, you know, like yeah. I, I've humanized them. Yeah. You don't see them as just a project. I think that idea of seeing faces is a huge key to this from for me too. And like like when I think about one of the the primary service ministries that one of the congregations I've served has been a part of is um, a homeless sheltering ministry called Family Promise that. Um, it, when there's not a pandemic going on, homeless families are housed at churches for a week at a time, staying in classrooms and things like that and share meals. And um, my role when I'm a volunteer, sometimes I'm staying overnight in another room or sometimes I'm uh, bringing the dinner or hanging out with the family on a Saturday afternoon with activities for the kids or things like that. And we have you know, multiple volunteers do that. And one of the things I've noticed that it does not only is there someone who would have slept in a car or in the cold now has a warm place to be. That's good. It helps with their actual physical needs while they also do whatever other stuff they need to get their life in, a, in whatever direction they need it to be. But also, I get to hear stories and we, like there's this, there's this equality of like, it's not me giving you a hand. Like there, there's not that plexiglass um, you know, divider of I'm the doler out of soup and therefore I am better. But instead like we're sharing a meal around the table. And... If a stranger walked in, nobody would know who's the homeless person and who's the, um, you know, well-fed religious professional. And there's something to me that's like, that's what the reign of God looks like. Because there's not this, I'm looking down on you because I'm the one serving you for, you know, but like, we're all sharing the same food. And that means sometimes at the end of the meal, we're all side by side washing dishes, you know, side by side. Or, um we did a project one time where we invited the family that was staying with us to help us. We were making a big uh, mural or banner. And so like there's artwork that has had the hands and additional skill and like creativity of kids who happen to be there. Like there's something beautiful to me about that idea of that Jesus was in all those directions. And I'm thankful that those people brought Christ into my life. And at the same time, I hope that we were able to reflect Christ into theirs, but it's by getting to know stories and faces and names. And when you can share a meal like that, like I remember being part of a food ministry where we gave out a free lunch every Saturday mm -hmm. at the church I attended in the seminary. Um, we had certain volunteers that were there purely to sit at the tables and talk to folks. Yep. Not to serve out the food, but to just sit and talk with yeah. the folks that, that came week in and week out. And and that's one of the things, like, I understand the purpose of food banks, and I, and I get, you know, and I understand that that's not necessarily meant for that conversation piece. Yeah. But unfortunately, just the, the way that's set up, at least in this nation, in this area, it just kind of turns into that, you know, well, here's your food, next person, here's your food. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And there's just this impersonal yeah. aspect to it um, that I really don't like. And with, with the ability to get to know stories and names, to have that personal connection, it has a way of breaking down the often implicit prejudices we bring. But like for, for, for us, before we started being a host congregation of the Family Promise, um, 
like it, it's a lot easier to have that mentality of man, all those homeless people, their problem is, and as, as though you know someone can prescribe or diagnose, and man, the the litany of like go to well, someone must have they made bad choices in their life, or they're you know uh, lazier, they you know whatever, and like well, wait a second, when you hear somebody's story and they're like, well, it turns out. Um, my company closed down and I got downsized and I I had the choice of either being, someone had to be home with my kids or, you know, like, and all of a sudden you, you get like how many, many people are one paycheck away from poverty or one paycheck away from losing their home. And when you get one bad day and all those things line up, yeah, now you're in this vicious circle. And that changes the story instead of me looking down on those people are bad and I'm going to give them charity. Instead, it's like, oh, we're all caught up in this web of humanity and the things that happen in this person's life, how can I help alleviate um, knowing that like we are all fragile and at risk and vulnerable? That, that to me has been an important like spiritual learning for me by being a part of, of acts of service like that. I guess the other thing in my mind about the, the idea of mutuality that seems important, about that idea of both directions in this, not just one, one, one way only, um, is when I think about the, the model Jesus gives um, when he washes his disciples' feet, uh, the, the last night he's with them in John's Gospel, is in that scene, not only, okay, first Jesus washes his disciples' feet, which is you know, obviously this, this act of humility, this act of, of serving and of love and of, of kindness. But then at the end of that, Jesus now tells us, now you do this for one another with that sense of sometimes the humbling thing is to serve and sometimes it's really humbling to let someone do something for you because that means admitting I've got a need too. And if I'm always the one with the abundance doling out to others, that always puts me in the position of power. Um, I might want to you know, put a positive spin on that and look how generous I'm being, but it's really hard Sometimes if, you've all, if you're always in the position of I have abundance and I dole out to you of recognizing sometimes I'm the one to need and I need to receive. And that's part of what makes this not a power dynamic. That seems really, really important that we have that way of both I need to serve and I need to be served sometimes. Both grow my soul and I need, I need both of those. That's, that's an uncomfortable learning, I think. Some of my most humbling experiences in ministry, both as a pastor and a layperson, is washing the feet. Yeah. And, and being on both sides of that. Because that is a humbling experience to have somebody to do that for you. Yeah. You, you realize, like, okay, they're, they're attached to, you know, like, gross stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, feet. yeah. And, you know, been sitting, especially, you know, if it's winter and it's, you know, I've had boots on all day. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think, at least for myself, I, I tend to be on the giving side and yeah. very rarely am I on the receiving side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I, in some ways I, I count myself blessed yeah. for being on the giving side and not having to be on the receiving side, but yeah. it's a good reminder. Um, and, and that's just one of the ways that I've been reminded over the years Yeah, yeah. that, you know, I, sometimes I need to let other people bless me. Yeah. Just as much as I want to bless them. And to discover that that's not a selfish thing. It's like sometimes what somebody else really, really needs is to be able to share their gift. Yeah. And that sometimes the most loving thing somebody can do is to create space for another person to offer what they have to offer. And for, I'll, I'll again confess, as someone in the religious professional role, especially someone who's grown up within the tradition of Christianity, gets the yes and support to serve, it can be really easy to slide into, take away other people's opportunities to serve and do all the serving because look at what a good little servant you'll be. And like, yeah. you slide back into spiritual Boy Scouts. You're like, no, this is not about merit badges. <laughs> um, and to discover sometimes what, 
what I most deeply need is to, to see my own neediness. Otherwise, I'm going to pretend I don't have any problems. I don't need Jesus' help or forgiveness or love or grace. You do, and I'm just here to, you know, that kind of thing. I can remember knowing a man years and years and years and years ago um, who had the, a, an absolute decent heart and had spent a, a lifetime as a successful business person, successful professional, being able to be in that position of giving all the time and never, never was okay with uh, now I need to be able to receive. And it was really, really hard when that person got to a point in life um, after retirement and then as health started to change, it was a crisis of identity because like, it was like, I don't know how to be somebody who, who receives care. I've always been the one giving out. And that also has a way of bringing with it assumptions about I have control. Like you'll do things the way I want to do it because I'm the one footing the bill or I'm the one giving the... And sometimes part of what we need, if you're used to being the one always doling out, is to discover I have needs and I need to be fed as well. But that's a difficult learning, I think. One, one of my favorite hymns that uh, our, our tradition has only recently put in a hymnal um, is, a, is a text called Will You Let Me Be Your Servant? Um, and uh, the opening verse of it goes, Will you let me be your servant? Let me be as Christ to you. And the second half is what gets me. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. And there in one verse, the whole hymn does this in a bunch of ways, but like the idea that um, it's a gift to be able to serve somebody else and it's also a gift that we need to admit that we need to have somebody else serve us and to be able to shift and know what the moment calls for is a difficult but necessary thing. So maybe this, this is a point to ask, okay, if someone's been listening in, uh, I, get, I get it, serving other people is helpful. Um, how, how, how does one go about making this an intentional spiritual discipline? Like we're, we're, This whole series is for in, each of us listening, how can I apply this or try this in my own spiritual life? Um, what, what, is that, what, what could that look like? Well, I think as, as a religious professional... Ways that, like, in, in, in my ministry, there definitely does seem to be a one-direction thing where I serve the congregation. Mm-hmm. And so, something that I would like as a religious professional is to have people ask me, mm-hmm. what can I pray for? Uh, like, what can I pray for this week for you? Mm-hmm. Um you know, because I, I feel like we, we ask that question a lot as religious professionals, but like I don't, I rarely hear that question like directed back at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that would be one way that I personally would like to have a congregation care for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, in general, as being a servant, asking that question a lot, because sometimes answer it becomes a way of like oh you know what this person might really appreciate a meal delivered to mm-hmm, them mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. whatever yeah but like that that sometimes opens up the window of opportunity to yeah. serving others and i think so often we think of service as something tangible mm-hmm. but praying for another person is an act of service Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm with you, Sarah. Like you know, we ask again as religious professionals, we we ask it all the time. And I honestly, I get teary-eyed anytime somebody asks me that question because I'm not used to being asked that question. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's you know, if you don't have some place to serve, like a food bank or a clothing cupboard or something close by you, especially with the pandemic going on and you know some of those volunteer opportunities being limited. 
praying for another person, you know, deliberately, you're setting aside that time daily, weekly, whatever it is, is a good way to kind of get into this practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it might lead to something down the road, like, oh, you might get a prompting from God or something that, you know, in the conversation when you're asking them, how can I pray for you? Well, you know, I need this or that. Yeah. Oh, that might be an opportunity for either you or somebody you know yeah. get them connected. And I, I think one of the things that this 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 tells to me is like a beginning of the spiritual discipline of serving others is cultivating an awareness of where might others have needs that I can help with. So like a good way to, to find out what my others need is that very broad question, how can I be praying for you? And what I really, really like about that way of starting a, a conversation or where, where it feels like the starting of a thread of conversation is that it doesn't start with, I need to be the hero, what can I do? But like, yeah, how, how can I bring your needs to God and trust the, And if that leads then also to, oh, there's particular things I can do, great, I can be a part of that as well. And it might be that there's a need that's bigger than I can do on my own, but I can help organize. So like the person who has a need for one day's meal brought to them, I can prepare one day's meal. But if like, oh man, someone is laid up and they're not going to be able to provide meals for a month, at that point, it becomes, oh, we can organize a whole crew of people, and you know, a couple times a week, people can bring... Th- and now that we've involved a bunch of people, and maybe it started with the, the request of prayer or something, and it, it's a way of drawing in uh, a bunch of people, but having our eyes and ears attuned to what's going on in somebody else's world that, might, that we might be able to help with, that, I think that, that, that's, that's a big piece. And I think on the flip side of that is, I think we as a society could get better at asking for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if nobody is specifically asking me, how can I pray for you this week? You know, and if I need prayers or whatever, to be a, more comfortable admitting it. Yeah. And saying, hey, yeah, I've had a really rough month or whatever. I really need prayers about this. Yeah. Um, because I know personally, I, I struggle with that, especially as a religious professional, admitting that, like, hey, I also like need prayer sometimes, yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think also we could get better about that. And in that way, like part of what leaders, whether it's you know pastors or council med- you know leaders or, or teachers or whatever, can do is to model that, you know, like, and, and not to model that I'm invincible, I'm a rock, I never have any needs, but like to be able to model. Here's a place where I can help and serve. Good. Do that and let people see that's part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But also to be able to model, here's a place where I need to ask your prayer support or what, whatever. Here's what I'm struggling. And again, in the right ways with the right boundaries and all that. But when other people see leaders able to do that without always having to sort of put up this blustery, I, I'm tough, I don't need any help, then it becomes easier for others to go, oh, well, if the leader you know, was able to own that, if that's what, what following Christ looks like, then I can own it as well. One of my concerns is over enough time, I think sometimes we've cultivated this idea that deeper spirituality means you'll never have needs rather than that deeper spirituality, I think, is being able to be more honest about the needs that we have. Um, And if we make our spiritual heroes look like, man, they were so strong and tough and they never leaned on anybody and they never needed anything, then that's what we model to other people and say, this is what it looks like to be you know, a hero of the faith. And then if I do discover I've got limitations or weaknesses or needs, I immediately make that something to be ashamed of because, oh, I don't live up to the example of so-and-so who never needed any help and only, you know, always only gave and never, you know, need, ne- never was able to receive. Um, then we perpetuate that cycle and we wonder why we end up with that's the, the culture we live in.
And that's the exact opposite of what we see throughout Scripture. Right. You know, every patriarch, every matriarch throughout Scripture has that moment where they're seeking out help of mm-hmm. some sort, or they've messed up somewhere. You know, and so I think, yeah, it's very important for us to model that as religious professionals or as, as lay leaders in yeah. our congregations, whatever role we might hold, is to say, you know what, yeah, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this, and it's hard for me to tell you this, but like, yeah, yeah. I, I need your help. In, in a way, this seems like a parallel track to why in the Torah, the commandments about Sabbath are given, like, God says you all have to do it, because then there's a way of, like, it's not just if you're weak, take a rest, but we all rest. And that's a way of saying all human beings need this rest, all creation needs it, and we are all made to have times when we work and contribute and times when we uh, are resting. And there's something beautiful about that pattern coming from the voice of God and the commandments, of that it's not framed as, well, if you really need it, ask permission, and if you need to take some time off, I guess you're allowed, but we'll all think of less of you because you're not as tough as the other. But no, we all take a rest, we all need that. And sometimes you really need it, and sometimes it's just, I'm, I'm glad I got you know, some rest. And that when Jesus frames the foot washing as his command, I'm telling you all, do this for one another, there's going to be times when it's harder for me to serve somebody, and it's going to be harder when, there's going to be times where it's harder for me, the one being served, but I need both. And because Jesus commands me to do it, I can say, okay, it's not comfortable for me, but I'll do this because this is Jesus' command for all of us. And that helps us to model that both are owning our weaknesses and not being ashamed of them, and owning our strength, but not using them in manipulative ways, I guess. So, in, in anybody's context, there might be lots of ways that this moves beyond uh, I made soup for somebody or prayed for somebody to bigger projects. So a lot of what churches do become bigger long-term projects. The, the clothes closet, the food ministry, the whatever. And um, maybe we could say somewhere in between there is the intentional practice each one of us can make of starting each day with the there are going to be opportunities I have to care for my neighbor. Can I be looking for them in advance? And to me, that feels like a good posture for like all of life to make this a spiritual practice. That it's like, how does the guy walking down the side of the road see the man laying? You know, how does the Samaritan see it? It's because he's got his eyes open, number one, and he's willing to let himself be throw, throw aside his, his uh, agenda for the day to help the person by the side of the road. And that's an intentional, when I see somebody in need, I will ask, how can I be useful in this situation? That's different than, like, in the 90s, I can remember in real fashion, we'll talk about random acts of kindness. And I, I get that, in the, the rest of the world, it should look random, but I, I, I think we almost, like, let ourselves off the hook with the word random, that it's like, well, maybe I'll do one here today and three weeks from now, but, like, instead there can be this intentional every day, where ways I can have my eyes open for, where places I can, with my words and actions, reflect Christ. And if that's intentional... It's not merely random. It's it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy of goodness, um, and that, that there's intentionality behind that. I think that's part of what the spiritual discipline of acts of service is. That it's not just at random moments, but that we're looking for ways we can be useful. Yeah. One of my goals for my covenant group is to ask the Holy Spirit to engage me every day. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, like that used to be like a you know engage me in worship every week. Mm-hmm. Well, we changed it every day. It's been a struggle for me. But mm-hmm. I think if, if we're willing to start every day by asking the Holy Spirit, engage me today, mm-hmm. those acts of kindness, like you said, are going to become a conspiracy. They're not going to become random. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's at least a good primer for how we might begin to think about and jump into ways of intentionally practicing acts of service as part of our own spiritual life. Um, we've got more to say on other spiritual practices, so we'll invite you to join us for one more episode next time, right? Yes. 
Bye.